0: The Gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, You are the Son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. You are the Son of God, he said. Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands and so that you will not strike out your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put your Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before I moved to Durham with my fiance this past summer, I worked in Charlotte for an organization that served the majority of the 3,000 people experiencing homelessness in the city on any given night. My job description was to talk with churches and schools about homelessness in the community. But there were moments as a short staff team in the midst of the pandemic where I would get the chance to join the street outreach team as an extra set of hands in the field. The role of street outreach is to go into wilderness and meet people there. Now, the idea of wilderness and the city of Charlotte uh, don't exactly fit together at first glance. But we see throughout scripture that the wilderness is the place where one lacks access to basic necessities. Food, water, shelter... The physical deprivation of wilderness is as true in Charlotte as it is in Sinai. Wilderness is also a spiritual location. A spiritual wilderness where you might feel most alone, losing everything, abandoned by everyone, beaten down, lacking hope. You might be going through a spiritual wilderness right now. But God goes into our wildernesses and meets us there. In Genesis, when Hagar and her son Ishmael are kicked out of Abraham and Sarah's house, they wandered through the wilderness and ran out of water. With nowhere to go and no hope, Hagar set her son down under a bush because she could not bear to see her child die. And she walked until she could no longer hear her son crying, and she sat down, sobbing in the wilderness. It is at that moment that God came to her. God heard the cries of her son, God her, uh, opened her eyes and she saw a well. And God blessed her son. And Hagar, a former slave in the wilderness, becomes the first person in scripture to name God. El Roy, the God who sees me. God sees us in our wildernesses. God goes into our wildernesses and meets us there. The wilderness is a place of promise and pain. It is only the wilderness that holds the potential for risk and revival, for peril and possibility. In this passage, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, and he meets the devil there. Jesus does not take the wrong exit and wind up in the wilderness. He is not going somewhere he knows, he, he knows better than to be hanging around in. This encounter in the wilderness is explicitly God's will. Why would Jesus need to have this experience in between his baptism in the previous chapter and his first time preaching in the verses that immediately follow this passage? I would argue that this moment is the dress rehearsal for Jesus' entire ministry. There was one particular street outreach experience that made the wilderness metaphor quite literal for me. We were looking for a campsite deep in the woods on land owned by a railroad. We were wearing hiking boots and long pants, but the thorns were still able to pierce our jeans. So an outreach team member and I walked the tracks as we looked for a clean entrance point into the woods. With a closeness that only shared, ministry, uh, that, with a closeness that only shared misery in the woods can create, we talked about our experiences. I told him that this job was my third position with the nonprofit. I started as a summer intern and then the next summer started as a staff member at the uh, uh, night shift team for the shelter, and then finally in my current position, which at that moment was between briar bushes and railroad ties. He asked me, what was the difference between that first summer internship and the second summer working nights? I told him about the transformative love I witnessed in my first weeks as an intern and a gift I received at the end of that summer. It was a railroad spike, bent and rusted. I was given it as a reminder that railroad spikes, like so many people in our community, end up tossed aside as worthless when they no longer fit the track that we are barreling over. But if you study a discarded spike, you can see it as a piece of art with its unique pitting and the orange dusting on the the old steel There is a beauty if you are willing to look. I told him that that spike offered a conclusion, a grand takeaway lesson from that summer internship, that people are good, God is good, and that is good. The next summer at the shelter started a little differently. It was my job at the check-in time when folks were coming in for the night to wand each person with a metal detector. At the end of check-in, I noticed that someone had ditched a makeshift weapon before they came in for uh, to be wanded. Uh, the top had been filed down to a sharp point. It had a duct tape grip and a paracord wristband to make sure that it wouldn't leave the hand. It was a railroad spike. This piece of art, the symbol of my summer, of the discarded yet beautifully and wonderfully made had been transformed into a weapon. And for whatever reason, someone felt the need and took the time to craft it into something as efficiently violent as possible. I do not think about the devil as a figure with red horns and a pitchfork. I think about that railroad spike. That there is evil in this world and that there are voices and powers that do not love us. And when they get a hold of us, we become a weapon. It is necessary as people of faith to talk about this reality. And I think it is necessary for Jesus in his preparation for ministry to confront this reality. So the spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. He meets the devil there. The devil tests Jesus three times. And each temptation tries to capture a part of Jesus' identity as the son of God that we see throughout his life. The prophetic the priestly, and the political. First, Satan tells Jesus to turn stones into loaves of bread, but he refuses to use his miraculous power. This is not uh, only about Jesus getting over his hunger. One loaf from a stone would accomplish that. But Satan asks for multiple loaves, an unnecessary display of power, so Jesus rejects the opportunity for self-gratification and instead points back to God. Next, they go to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, and Satan quotes scripture for Jesus to jump. At the literal height of religious authority, Jesus rejects the arrogance of expecting how God will act on his behalf. At last, Satan offers Jesus the power over all the nations. Jesus rejects an offer for something he already has, but in a fundamentally different way. These dialogues are crucial to understand Jesus' ministry because these tests and temptations reoccur throughout Jesus' life and ministry. They are constantly present, trying to capture an aspect of Christ. But Jesus does feed the 5,000 just a few chapters later, and with a miraculous amount of bread, but not for the disciples and not for his own uh, satisfaction. When Jesus explains later to the disciples that he will be crucified and that the Son of God has to die, Peter says, no, never. God would protect you. Jesus gives the same response as in this passage, get away, Satan. At the crucifixion, the soldiers mocked Jesus with the same language of this passage. If you are the Son of God, he could save himself from the cross. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the risen Christ declares that all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christ is Lord, not by bowing to Satan, but by conquering death. I don't think it's accidental that Matthew's description of the devil's temptations are later played out in the actions of regular people. And in the response to each and every temptation, Christ is faithful and obedient. I believe this offers two conclusions. First, Christ is a model for how we navigate these impulses and pressures in our own relationships with one another. This is especially important as we begin our Lenten journey. Lent is an intentional time in the wilderness. There is an aspect of material deprivation as we give something up, and a spiritual exploration as we think about our own practices, mortality during Ash Wednesday, and sinfulness in the litany of of penitence. If I may, I want to offer one challenge for our Lenten observance. In addition to what we are giving up or adding, we should examine what what is being asked of us in our daily life. When we are in a position to help or serve in the community, who is getting the glory? Are we being asked to transform one loaf or too many loaves? Are we pushing ourselves beyond what we should be, but keep saying, I'm fine, I don't need help? Are we, as leaders in the community, being asked to serve the kingdom of God or a different kingdom? Lent is a wilderness journey. Christ is our model for how we walk with others through it. And the second and last conclusion I believe this passage offers is that human conflict only captures one part of the story. This grand vision of the fight between good and evil in this passage is rivaled only by Charlie Daniels' The Devil Went Down to Georgia. But it it talks about the cosmic nature of this that goes beyond our own moral suggestions. It goes beyond human actions. Christ encountered the embodiment of evil in this world and remained faithful. Our 40-day Lenten journey follows Christ's faithfulness to the point of death on a cross, and Christ defeats death. In the final spiritual battle between good and evil, good has already won. So at those tracks, the outreach worker asked me, did that second summer working nights at the shelter change that conclusion, that grand takeaway lesson of that first summer? People are good, God is good, and that is good. I said, yes, it did. And now I say, People are broken. God is still good, and that is good. I think another way to put that is from the country singer Zach Bryan. The devil can scrap, but the Lord has won. Amen.